Letters are precious. And I am, you can call it sentimental, but I keep, I've, for the most part, I've kept every letter, whether it be a card or a handwritten letter that someone has given to me over the years, because it reminds me of relationship, reminds me of the life experiences and circumstances that I've had with people over the years. Well, today we're going to look at part of a letter written by the Apostle John. This particular letter is a book that I often studied with new believers in Christ. I thought it was important to ground them in the Word, and I started with a a short but rich book. This book in particular uses the word love over and over and over again. Why? It's a letter about relationship, and I don't want you to forget that. The greatest relationship one could ever have. Hear now God's word from 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. It's also printed there in your bulletin. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him and, his, and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. that We should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give light, that we would see And in seeing that we would be transformed to the application of this, the holy word of God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are five things that I want you to see in our passage today. And I will enumerate them as we go. The first one is this. The children of God remain in Jesus. The children of God remain in Jesus. You see this in verse 28 here. John identifies his audience as what? Little children. He addresses a specific time for their listening and their obedient ears. He says, now, little children, now. He indicates that the present is of the essence in what he's about to say. And now, little children, abide. Abide. What does that word mean in this context? It means this. It means to to dwell, to take up residence, to remain, to stay, to live, to last, to endure, to continue. John instructs these, he calls his little children, to live, to remain, 
to endure in Jesus Christ. Now, abiding in him, of course, refers to Jesus Christ. A lot of times in this book in particular, you'll see the pronoun him, him, him a lot, and he's referring mostly to Jesus Christ, sometimes to God the Father. In the previous verses, John, he teaches these little children about false teachers, and he's talking about a specific false teaching that was not, not of course, any false teaching is horrible, but it was, it, was, uh, it was prevalent during this time, and he's writing to ground them in the truth. And he calls them little children. Now think about this for a moment. John's giving instruction, and he calls this church, these people of God that he's writing to, little children. Where are little children safest? Where are little children safest? Yesterday I was driving down, I think it's Twinbrook, yeah. I was driving down Twinbrook last night and I saw a mother and two children and they were on the sidewalk, but I'm always just cautious about in the city and children, they were running down the sidewalk. I mean, they were in full stride and cars were coming and dusk was coming and I thought, oh Lord, protect those children. Where are children safest? They're safest right beside their parent, right? They're safest right beside their parent. You think about a stranger approaching a little child. Child doesn't know who this person is. Stranger's looking at the child. The closer the stranger gets to the child, the child gets closer and closer to their parent, right? Closer and closer to the parent. Little children stay close, very close, extremely close to Jesus. Remain with Jesus. Stay close to the Word of God, meaning get God's Word into your mind. Jesus, who is not visibly present with us now, He will appear one day, the passage here says. He's going to appear one day. Jesus will return to the earth. He's going to re-enter the earth's atmosphere, and everybody will know it. When Jesus returns, John wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be prepared. If he returns in your lifetime, please be prepared. How do we stay close to Jesus? Well, we stay close to the Lord through His Word, through prayer, through His Spirit. Stay close to Jesus, and when he appears, you will not be ashamed before him when you see him. John is teaching here that God wants his children to be happy to see Jesus. He wants us to be happy to see him. He doesn't want us to be ashamed. God wants us, of course, to love the Lord Jesus. And abiding in him now prepares our soul for when we'll see him face to face. You know, when I was a kid and I heard the preachers preach about the return of Jesus, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, I was sh- literally shaking in my boots. I-, I think I've said in here before, you know, I have, used to have this great fear of storms. Oftentimes I thought, oh, behind the storm, the Lord's going to come one day and I'm not going to be ready. I knew that Christ, when he returns, I know that when he returns, he's going to return in judgment. Well, why was I afraid? When children disobey their parents and they're caught face-to-face in the act, what do they do? Well, they hold their head down, right? 
They don't want you to look at the shame, the guilt on their face. Their faces drop to the floor. But when Jesus returns, he wants us to look at him with happy, eager, longing faces for him. When he returns, we'll be able to say, now my faith has become sight. When Jesus returns, hope will exist no more. Why? Because hope will have become reality. All doubt will disappear. People who have laughed at your faith, people who have laughed at your expense, they will laugh no more. At the sight of Christ's return, provided he turns while we're alive, then you who have hoped in Jesus, you will and can have confidence in him. You can have boldness, assurance that the one you had faith in will be made absolutely public. Children of God, stay close to Jesus. This leads to the second thing I want you to see in our passage. The children of God practice righteousness because God has made them new in Jesus. The children of God practice righteousness because God has made them new in Jesus. You see this in verse 29. John poses an if-then statement. Knowing that Jesus is righteous, he says, necessarily leads to knowing that every person who practices righteousness has been made brand new by and in Jesus. Righteousness comes from God. Oftentimes I think righteousness is such a difficult word to define, and I try by looking at the text God declares people who believe in Jesus as righteous. You're not born righteous. We're born in sin. We're born with hearts that hate God, and the older you live, a child, as they're growing up, you don't have to teach them wickedness. You're going to see them do things they're not supposed to do. We're born into that condition. How does that change through Jesus? Through faith in the Lord Jesus, and God declares those who have faith in Jesus as righteous. And it pertains to this. Your standing before God is now one of uprightness. Your state of existence in the presence of God Almighty is a state of right, a right state of being. God says for those who trust Jesus to be who he says he is, for those who trust in Jesus, you have a correct relationship with God point of verse 29 is this. People who belong to Jesus live like Jesus. Point of verse 29 is people who belong to Jesus live like Jesus. Amen. Brother Little, as my daddy would say, amen, Brother Little. They resemble Jesus in their lifestyle. Think about 4th of July is approaching and You know, people are going to watch the fireworks and things like that. But you think about a firework and its trajectory. It's pointed in a certain direction, and once the the fuse is lit, it stays in that trajectory as it soars off into the sky. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus enters your life, when he changes your life, your life trajectory changes. You move towards what we call Christ-likeness rather than away from it. 
the reality of Jesus Christ living inside of you will be visible. It'll be evident. People will see it. Jesus is our righteousness. We don't produce it ourselves. That is impossible. We produce pride. We produce anger. We produce resentment. We produce, I want things my way. Jesus produces righteousness. Amen. He is our righteousness. And if Jesus lives in you, then the righteousness of Jesus will be known in you, and it'll be known through you. Leading to the third point I want you to see here in our text in verse 1 of chapter 3. The children of God possess the greatest relationship in the entire universe. The children of God possess the greatest relationship in the entire universe. God's love, the scripture says here, has been demonstrated. How? God's love has truly been given for God calls you, you who trust in Christ, to be the Son of God, to be the Word of life, to be the sacrifice for your sin. God calls you children of God. Well, what is a child? An obvious answer. The product of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. The fruit of a man and a woman. A child is a new human being, a new person to the world with a dad, with a mom, with a father and a mother. Contrary to what culture says, a child has relationship. God intends for parents to love their children, to protect their children, to teach them, to listen to them, to make time for them, to guide them in life, to correct them when they are wrong, to care for them when they are ill, and many, many other things. John says in verse 29, God calls you children. 1 John is a letter about relationship. For believers in Jesus, God becomes what? Your father. And Jesus becomes what? Your brother. Have you ever thought about that? He is your brother. God in Christ. Christ is God seated beside the Father in heaven who was here on the earth, who became one of us. Christ who now sits in heaven beside the Father is your brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's good news. He was tempted in every way as we are. I didn't put this in here. The scripture says in Hebrews, yet without sin. Why? So that we could have a right relationship with God. We, every one of us, deserve hell, condemnation. God is perfect and we are not. God becomes your father. Jesus becomes your brother. And the Holy Spirit is your very present help and comfort in your time of need, even now. I discipled a group, several group of groups of guys in college, and one young fella in particular, I, uh, I, I, as I told you before, I took groups through First John, and one guy who I, I had to stop discipling after a year because of some decisions that he had made. But several years later in college, we were having a conversation and I asked him, we were in a, group, in a group discussion, and I asked him, I said, 
Can you tell me, you remember what one of the chief themes of the book of 1 John was? And without hesitation, he said love. And I was like, amen. Because he went, he went a path I didn't want him to go down. But he changed. He repented. He came back. But he remembered the chief thing in this book, which is love. Love of God. The love of the Trinity. God's word establishes an unbreakable bond with his children. God loves his children. Well, John also alerts us that the world does not know God's children. The world does not love you like God loves you. You know that, don't you? The world does not see life the way you, children of God, see reality. John says the world did not know Jesus. John first made this statement in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made, the world was created through him, and yet the world did not know Jesus. Well, what does John mean by the world? What are you getting at, John? Consider John, the gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Hear God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus, I like to put the the, the proper noun in pronouns when I'm reading the scriptures, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. How interesting. But in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is what I want you to hear and and understanding what the world is, what John means by the world. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. What John means by the world is humanity in the condition of spiritual death, moral rebellion to God's perfect holy standards that he requires of every single human being that exists. Every single one of us. The world is sinful humanity. And remember that sinful means missing the mark of God's standard. We do it every day. The world does not know Jesus, John says, and the world does not know God's children. The world is not like God's children, and yet the world needs what you have. You believe that? Do you believe that? I know it's Sunday morning, we're a little sleepy, but that's all right. That's all right. Your neighbors who don't know Jesus need Jesus. People that you can't stand, people that you hate, people that you don't get along with, People that you'd rather avoid need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. 
What does the world need? The gospel and Jesus. Don't be surprised, everyone, when non-believers don't believe what you believe, when they don't understand your faith. When don't, don't be surprised when your faith is ridiculed or mocked. And I've had that happen to me on a number of occasions. Don't be surprised, and please, please don't be afraid or intimidated when people mock you for what you believe. Why? If I could say this and that wall just blow away, I would. God reigns. That's why. God reigns. And the Bible says Jesus lives in you, and you are what? The light of the world. Before I went to sleep last night, this is not in the notes either. Before I went to sleep last night, I was reading some new books. And y'all know I love books. You come to my study, you'll see I love books. But I saw a new book called Light in the Dark. It's all about how the scripture is the light in the dark. So I made a memo on my memo page, buy this book, Terrence. This leads to the fourth thing I want you to see in our passage. The children of God have been promised the greatest future by God through Jesus. Number four, the children of God have been promised the greatest future by God through Jesus. And you see this in chapter 3 and verse 2. John uses the term beloved or loved ones. It's a term of identity. It's a term of endearment. You are loved ones of God. Now, at this present time, you are children of God. This is your reality. When? Right now. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus. John says, loved ones, there's more to come in your identity. There's more to come in your life in Christ. Because of this relationship with God, you are children of God. He says you're going to experience something else. John says it is not yet revealed what we shall be, but when Jesus appears, we shall what? Be like him, for we will see him like he is. We'll be like, in your Bible, underline like Jesus. You're going to see Jesus just as he is. Now think about that. Let's meditate on this for a moment. What else has God got planned for his children? And you all in a world like we live in, in this particular area that we live in, where our jobs, our schedules rule the day, this is something that's an imperative reminder for us. And anybody who has experienced the reality of death knows it must be a an imperative reality in our life. What else does God have planned for his children according to the Bible? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you read this. Resurrected bodies, transformed bodies, glorified bodies, bodies that'll never die, bodies that'll never get old, bodies that'll never be broken down, bodies that will no longer be susceptible to disease, to cancer to brain tumors, to pain. No longer will we have to say goodbye to loved ones. No more suffering. When Jesus appears, God's children will be like Jesus. We'll see him as he is. You know, when I was growing up, the church I grew up in, they would sing about heaven. They'd sing about 
what's going to occur. I, I, can, I can hear them just ringing in my head. They'd say, by and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered at home, we will tell the story of how we overcome, for we will understand it better by and by. One day, we will overcome the sin in the world through Jesus. This leads to the fifth thing I want you to see, the fifth and the last. The children of God hope in Jesus and are changed. The children of God hope in Jesus and are changed. And you see this in verse 3. Here John explains our hope. He explains our purification. He says every person who has hope in Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Well, what's hope? What's hope? Everybody knows what hope is, right? Hope is something that we look forward to with great, earnest expectations. A Christian, which is a little Christ, we hope in Jesus. Children of God hope in Jesus. We look forward to God's promises made to us through Jesus to come true. Hope in Jesus purifies you and me. Well, how? Hoping in Jesus means thinking about Jesus. Rehearsing over in your soul the promises of God given to you, child of God, through Jesus. Hoping in Jesus means you cast your desires upon God. You put your heart, your mind, your soul, your today into the hands and care of God. And you actively wait for God to make good on his promises. Consider this. Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, the scripture says, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, is where you put your hope. Where is your treasure this day, brothers and sisters? What do you trust in today for your life? For your everything? If calamity and trouble were to come to your house today, where would your hope be? I mean, you think about people all around you who have no hope. I mean, I've heard of just a few weeks ago, a best friend of someone committing suicide. You know, you see it all over the news, people committing suicide. Why? Why do they do that? They don't have hope. And you do. And you do. Every person who has this hope in Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. You know, Christ is at work in his people. God is at work in his children. And God purifies his children by what? His word and his spirit. As long as the good Lord lets me stay here, you're going to hear that over and over and over again. Why? Because you need the word. I need the word. You don't have to like me. I hope, I, I hope everybody does, <laughs> but it'll be all right. But we need the Word. We won't get there without the Word. We won't be a strong fellowship without the Word. Amen. Amen. God purifies His children by His Word and His Spirit. Are you trusting Christ today? Are you even a child of God this day? If not, I'd love to talk to you. God is God and God loves his children. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, I thank you for your word.
thank you for the promises that you give to us. I thank you, O God, that you've given us the only Savior. Father, I thank you that you have been so patient with us. I thank you, O God, that you have given us good news. I thank you that you've not given us what we deserve. Thank you, Lord, that you take a ragtag bunch of people who are disobedient and you, you turn us around. You give us hope. You give us faith. You do something on the inside of us. And you make us think and love differently. Thank you. I beg you, God, to transform us ever more into the image of Christ. Conform us more and more to Christ. Let us lay aside every sin and the, every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And Lord, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In his name we pray, amen.